0: You know the agent has to call the other agent this is how it works there's a lot of table talk people don't realize when making an offer now when there's 20 offers there's not a lot of time for table talk between the agents but ideally i like to talk to the other agent i like to figure out what do they need like what do the sellers need do they need post-closed occupancy do they need to stay in the house after the close do they need to you know do they need to have a fast close do they need to? You know, what, what does, what do they need? Cause there's, there's always a million, one scenarios that seller ideally. Cause sometimes if you can fit your offer to what they need, sometimes it's not about money, you know, it may not be the 5,000, $10,000 difference like that in a lot of scenarios is like not a lot of money anyway. And so if you can match what they need, then that, that is worth its weight in gold.
1: Hello and hola friends.
2: Hey there, this is Dr. Aaron Wiseman. I'm a fellow Doctor Podcast Network member, life coach, and mama three. I kick butt, I take names, and I help other high-achieving people do the exact same. And today, I want to invite you over to my podcast, Dr. Me First. It's well over 300 episodes, and each one is filled with inspiration and advice from amazing guests. So grab your wife, your mom, your sister, your best friend, and come tune in as we explore what it means to be a woman in medicine and a woman in this world. Because this podcast is a dose of everything that I needed when I was burned out, exhausted, and ready to quit it all. At the end of the day, I do this to help you feel more connected to yourself, and to connect with others. I love to end my show with a kick of encouragement, so here's my favorite tagline. Your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See you over at Dr. Me First.
1: lovely ladies and gentlemen. Okay, I would just like to wish you guys a happy Mother's Day. Whether you are a mother, are married to a mother, have a mother, planning to become a mother, happy Mother's Day. Please give the mothers in your life hugs and kisses. Give yourself hugs and kisses. I love you so much. This month, we will be celebrating Mother's Day every week with a working physician mom. If you would like to learn how to show up as a better, stronger, and more successful, loving, and appreciative physician, mom, please reach out to me. I would love to show you what's possible. Jump on my website, medicinemarriageandmoney.com. Sign up at I am ready. It will take you directly to my calendar link. We can do a free consult call and I will show you what's possible. What would you do with all that time that you spend currently maybe arguing with your spouse or maybe even with yourself in your head after you have conversations and you're ruminating like why did they say that what would you do with that extra time that you had well come with me i will show you love you guys please help me welcome our guest on today's show of medicine marriage and money dr Carrie reynolds dr reynolds is a board certified pediatric gastroenterologist who I met three years ago at FinCon 2018 in Florida, which is a financial blogger slash podcaster conference. She also went to medical school with my husband. So when Carrie's podcast, The Hippocratic Hustle first launched back in 2017, my hubby Victor and I were her first avid listeners and fans. A few of Dr. Reynolds' passions include traveling, finances, and real estate, which we will cover all three of those. Carrie is also the loving wife to a general surgeon and the supportive mother of a brave and beautiful eleven year old daughter. Welcome, Carrie, Oh
0: my gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us tell us a little bit about you. Like, where are you from? Where are you set up right now? Yeah, well, I'm originally from Michigan, and so that's how, I kind of know you guys because I know Victor from medical school. He was in a number of my classes and we even did rotations together and everything. So he was pretty popular in medical school. So <laughs> not surprising. Anyway, so yeah, after I did residency at Beaumont, which you also did in Metro Detroit. So that's kind of fun, although I guess we didn't really know each other back then. But yeah, and then I moved to Kansas City for fellowship and then ultimately landed here in Denver, where my husband's family lives. And we've been here for the past almost six years. Ah, oh, yes. Okay. So you are so you decided to move back to
1: where your husband's family lives.
0: Yeah. Long story. He's actually from Michigan as well, as is all of his family. But in the past 20 to 30 years, everybody's moved out here for the most part from his dad's side. So we have over 20 people here in Denver on from his side. So, yeah, so we have tons of family here, grandma and grandpa are here, you know, lots of lots of folks for support. So, it's great being here in Denver. How did you first meet him? Oh my gosh. Well, we met, let's see, it was about halfway through my freshman year of undergrad. So, yeah, and at the time he was living in Denver and he came home for Christmas break and one of his best friends from high school was one of my really good friends from college. So, anyway, That's that's basically he got to campus to come visit his friend and walked on campus and ran into the first people that he met there, which was me and one of my good friends who happened to be his friend's girlfriend. So he ran into the right people and was able to to find his friend because that was before cell phones, you know. So you had to kind of just walk around and ask people where where everybody's at to to you know locate (laughs) where to meet up. Which campus was this? So this is Kalamazoo College in Kalamazoo, Michigan.
1: Oh, I didn't know you went there. I actually spent my second grade. Year of life in Kalamazoo. Yeah, I loved it. It was like the best year of my childhood. Okay, so
0: you met, and then what happened next? Oh my gosh. Well, we hung out that whole evening because with a group of friends and everything. And I, you know, just went to Steak and Shake and all the things that college people do, like, you know, hang out until two o'clock in the morning with a group of friends and stuff. And then after he left, I said to my roommate, I say, like, Hey, did you see that guy, that guy, Matt? Like, you know, did you see his Sam's friend Matt? And and she was like, Well, yeah, we all hung out and she I was like, Isn't he cute? And she's like, mm, sure. You know. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, I guess I had something that I remember I remember trying to talk about him with her and she was just like, Uh-huh, sure. Well, he is cute to everybody, I think. But anyway, when you're 19, I was just I had a crush.
1: So did you ask him out or did he ask you?
0: Well, let's see. He went back to Colorado to go back to school after that Christmas break, and so I didn't really think much of it. But he emailed his friend and said, "Hey, what about that girl, Carrie?" And so that put it into his friend. This friend, his name is Sam. Anyway, put it into his mind that maybe we should. He should hook us up and get us together. So when the next summer came around, he basically by that time he was like, "He's like, oh, you should date my friend Matt." And I'm like, oh, "Shut up! Like, I'm not going to do anything you tell me to do." I basically, if someone tells me to do something, I do the complete opposite. So I was really annoyed at him for, you know, assuming that that we should hang out or or date or whatever. But ultimately, Sam did a good job, got us together again for, you know, kind of a group beach day in the summer. And yeah, so that's, I guess you could call it our first date. It was kind of like we were with a group of friends, but that's when we really hit it off.
1: Gosh, okay. And so then how'd you fall in love? Like, why did you fall in love?
0: We kind of say it might've been love at first sight because he was thinking the same thing about me when we hung out that night over Christmas break. And then after that, we just really clicked. Like, it was just like when you talk to him, when I talked to him, it was almost like I was, it was so easy and it was, it seemed so natural. And he ultimately, after that summer, he was just back for the summer. He went back to Colorado to go to college and he actually dropped me off at work. And he, that was going to be the last time that I, that I saw him. Cause that whole summer we ended up actually dating, you know, a little bit more formally, but I kind of, in my, my head, I was like, well, I'm never going to see him again. Like how am I ever gonna see him again? He lives in Colorado. I live in Michigan. like I can't afford plane tickets. I can't, you know, it's expensive to call long distance. It's like <laughs> you know, I was like, well, I'm probably never gonna see him again. And then I got dropped off at work and I went into I went into work and my friend was in there and I just I just remember just saying, oh crap, crap crap, crap, crap. But you know the other word anyway <laughs> to her because I was like, this is so crappy like, I'm never going to see him again. And I just was so at that moment, so heartbroken, basically, because I just assumed I would never see him again. And I realized in that moment that it wasn't just a summer fling that it was, you know, that we had a really great connection. But, you know, again, I was 19. Actually, I was 18 when I met him, technically. Yeah. And then so that summer, I turned 19. So we were really young. And he's, a, he's the same age. So yeah. And so did you reach back out to you? Or did you reach back out to him? Well, we had emailed, so we were emailing back and forth. I mean, I was emailing his roommate's AOL account because that's, you know, this is the era. This is 1997 at this point. So it wasn't even a private email, but we were kind of keeping in touch that way. And then all of a sudden he like stopped emailing. This was like maybe three weeks after he went back to Colorado and I didn't know what happened to him. I remember talking to my roommates going, well, you know, we didn't say ghosted back then, but he was totally ghosting me. Like... (laughs) I didn't have a phone number for him. I His email, like I said, was his friend. So I was just like, okay, well, he knows my phone number, you know, knows my email. I guess eventually he'll get in touch if he wants to get in touch. I just thought he dumped me basically. <laughs> and that went on for about a week and a half or so. And then we were getting ready to start the next semester at my college. And all of a sudden I was in my dorm room and Matt just walked in. So he had been planning to come see you. Yeah, he just walked in, and my roommate was because she was the one who I was confiding in with how pissed I was that he wasn't emailing me. Yeah, what happened was is that he went back to Colorado to go to college, but he he thought he could get in-state tuition, and it all didn't work out. And he realized he had a room in a house that he was renting, but when he went back, like they had sub-leased his room, he didn't have a place to live, and and he realized that it just wasn't going to work out going to school in Colorado, and so he needed to come back to Michigan to go to school. So. Yeah. So he kind of in those two weeks, he had lost track. Well, he lost connection because he had gone on a camping trip with a friend. So he was actually off the off the grid, essentially. And he had to kind of figure all this stuff out. And he just got a plane ticket the last minute and came back. And he really, when he landed, the first thing he did was was drive to Kalamazoo to find me. So that was like that same day. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, and was he co- going to attend your college or he hadn't had a plan yet?
0: He had thought about it. Kalamazoo College is not a great place to transfer into. It's kind of not set up for that. So because this is going to be sophomore year of college at this point. So he ended up going to community college in Grand Rapids where he was from. So, But the first thing he did was come to find you. He, the first thing he did was come to find me. Yeah, he did.
1: And you guys were already in love. I mean, you had already tormented yourself for like that week and a half. Oh, so that was perfect. And then, and so when did the proposal happen in the, in the wedding?
0: Yeah, well, we then were really serious through college. I know we annoyed all of my roommates and my our friends and stuff because we were the serious couple who just wanted to hang out with each other. Ugh. Anyway, we should have thought about that. We have a whole lifetime to hang out together. We should like make sure we develop, you know, those friendships and keep all those friends. But anyway, yeah. So we let's see. I mean, it was just like junior senior year, I guess. We were, I was getting ready to graduate, and I, you know, it, we were just kind of thinking, well, what are we gonna do after graduation? And I don't know. In my mind back then, I didn't necessarily want to move in with somebody that I was dating. I don't know. I was still pretty young. And in my head, I thought that was a bad idea. I know now as I'm older, a lot of people navigate that really, really well, but I just wasn't, just didn't feel comfortable doing that. And, you know, and we talked about it. It was just a lot of it, just like, well, you know, we're going to get married. Right. And I was like, yeah, but we're just so young. He's like, well, we're going to get, if we're going to get married sometime, like, why don't we just get married now? Like, who cares? Did you know you guys were going to medical school at this point? You know, from the very beginning when I first met him, his friend had said, oh, well, he's he's going to be a surgeon. And I was like, well, how is he going to be a surgeon when he's going to community college? Because he was going to community college out here in Colorado as well. And I just, in my head, I was like, "How does that? how does that work? Like, how do you go to community college and go to medical school? But he was really focused. Like, he was one of these, like, I always want to be a doctor. You know, he was getting all the credits in a really... Relatively inexpensive way, the credits that he needed to kind of get where he needed to be. He ultimately transferred to Michigan State. So at that time, junior and senior year, basically he spent at Michigan State. So he was getting all, he was doing all the things he needed to do to go to medical school. And I was a history major. (laughs) So I focused in medieval history and ancient Greece and Rome. And yeah, which my mom was always like, What are you going to do when you graduate? And I'm like, I don't know. So no, I didn't know that I was going to go to med school at all, like zero clue, zero clue. Not even on the radar. You would have told me that I would have laughed at you. Okay. And then, so did you get married when he suggested let's get married? Did you get married? So we got married. I thought one week after graduation was a little too close. So we got married two weeks after graduation. Yeah. from Or when I should say, when I graduated, because he did all this kind of like back and forth and a little bit of a free form education. He still had another year to get the credits he needed. So I was graduated, but he still had more school to do before before medical school.
1: Okay. And so then did you guys do medical school together or was that
0: separate? No, totally separate. So he went to Michigan State College of Osteopathic Medicine, and we lived in Lansing at the time because he went to Michigan State. And so that was a really natural progression for him. He took a year off between undergrad and medical school. He did study abroad in South Africa for a little bit too for a summer semester. So he kind of did some of the fun things, you know, before going off to med school. So, yeah, so then he started medical school and basically it was in that year. Well, I, you know, I, to a certain extent, I'm a really good researcher and since he did school, so like kind of wacky in his way, he didn't, I don't think he really had a great mentor as far as like how to get into medical school. I know if you go, you know, if you go to a lot of schools, they would have like some sort of pre-med advisor or whatever, who would make sure that you're doing everything the right way to get into med school, probably tell you exactly what classes to take you know, how to pad your your resume or whatever to make yourself a really good candidate, that sort of thing. Well, even if that existed, I don't think he really used those resources just because he was kind of doing it on his own. And so I did a lot of research on studentdoctor.com or studentdoctor.net or whatever. Do you remember that website? Yeah, this was a one of these web-based forums, basically, in the early days of the internet where, you know, you could go to find all the information. I know a lot of people know what I'm talking about, but it was a crazy, crazy place. you know how the internet is. Sometimes there's all these crazy gunners and like who would like try to shoot you down if you're doing things the wrong way, make fun of you if you said that you had community college credits or this or that, you
1: know. (laughs) We don't list them. We delete those people.
0: Oh, I know. Right. So anyway, I did a lot of research on there and there was actually on that forum, there was a non-traditional student forum. So for non-traditional students and I read a lot of those people's experiences and questions and things like that about how to get into medical school when you're not a traditional pre-med student, which was me. So yeah, so I kind of realized, oh, it's not that hard to get into medical school, (laughs) which is a total joke because (laughs) it is. But you figured it out and you figured out you could do it. You figure out what hoops you need to jump through. And I mean, I can't speak for the kids who are applying to med school right now because it may be more competitive or I I feel like maybe it is, but you know Wayne State was known for their non-traditional students I mean it was a huge campus and everything so I think I fit in pretty well at at Wayne State for medical school and it was in state I mean I know it really helps when you're applying that you're in a state that has a ton of medical schools public medical schools which we have in Michigan so yeah it worked out really really well so ultimately I ended up being 2 years behind my husband in medical school which worked out mm-hmm. and it worked out the way that his campus was at Michigan State they did it the first 2 years in east lansing and then the second two years are done at community campuses around the state so a little bit of a long story but he ended up choosing grand rapids because he's from grand rapids but that was the year i went to wayne for medical school so that his third year and my first year we spent apart basically so it was kind of a little bit crazy that was i don't recommend that at all it wasn't good for mental health (laughs) for me that is what so many people say
1: so many people that have had on this podcast and say they had to spend a year or two apart from their loved one, their spouse, whoever it was, fiance or, or, you know, husband or wife. He's like, I do
0: not recommend that. Nope, not at all. And I stayed in the dorms at Wayne and there were supposed to be these professional student dorms, which I thought was cool. Cause you know, they're gonna be grad students, professional students, law, you know, law students, and they didn't get enough people to, to you know, be housed in this. So they put all sorts of undergrads in this dorm that they advertised was going to be only for professional students and grad students. And it was, yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible.
1: So once you guys, okay. So once you guys, you know, did your residence or during residency, even during residency and now as attendings, what have you found to be
0: like the main struggles as a dual physician household? Struggles. I really want to say schedule off the top of my head. But when I think about, us both being physicians, I think it's actually beneficial for us, at least for us as a couple, we both know what each other's going through from a medicine standpoint. You know, I think a lot of times (laughs) my husband has a habit of, of like calling me on his way home from work, which is great. And, and sometimes he'll tell me about his cases and, you know, he's general surgery. So a lot of times it actually is, you know, a GI case or whatever. And, and so he, Basically, will tell me all the things. I think it's good for him. he's like decompressing, like i can't, I can't imagine being a non-medical spouse. I mean, maybe non-medical spouses don't mind hearing that, but it's like i I'm just gathering a little bit of information, a little bit of education from it too. so so yeah, it probably helps him to kind of decompress a little bit from a difficult case to even like, you know, using medical terms and
1: got it. and when, so what he tells you these stories? And he's decompressing from from his day. Do you listen? Do you respond? Like, how do you respond, and how do you listen?
0: Like, wh- how, what does he need, and how do you provide that? Yeah. Well, I just I listen. I mean, I'm not really giving him any tips. Yeah. No, not necessarily. I mean, sometimes we talk about endoscopy or something, uh, you know. But <laughs> yeah, I think I just listen. And sometimes I think it's really funny because I think. I wonder if he's dictated this case yet because I really should just record him him talking about it and then maybe he could use this for his dictation.
1: (laughs) You're thinking all about efficiency here.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I'm like, wow, he's going into a lot of detail. Not, okay, it's not really like he's dictating to me, but it's kind of funny.
1: (laughs) And then, and so so actually you turned your struggle time into a benefit. Are there any other benefits of being in a dual physician household?
0: Well, if we want to talk about finances, it's nice having the two strong incomes and probably is nice having the two strong incomes because we both have medical school debt. So, I guess it's kind of like chasing our tail a little bit with it. But
1: <laughs> and then I know you talk about, you know, you talk about finances on your podcast. You love to talk about finances. What are some of the, you know, big financial goals that you guys have as a couple?
0: And do you guys sit down and talk about those together or are these things you do on your own? Yeah, I you know, I I take care of most of the money, so I have to share that with him and make sure that I share it with him. There's been situations where he's like, Carrie, we're totally broke. And I'm like, um, <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> you know, if we're gonna make a big purchase, he's like, We're totally broke. And I'm like, No, 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 no. It's okay. We can afford this. And I have to like show him because he's never looking at the bank account. So in his head, he's just thinking that, you know, that of course we don't have the money. So he definitely has a kind of a starvation mindset, I think, a little bit when it comes to money, because probably just that's just his personality and he doesn't know because he doesn't look. But yeah, so So, definitely, I'm the one who keeps track of all that stuff. And then, you know, talking about big goals, I mean, we actually did this this morning. We went out to coffee together and we didn't have a ton of time because it was before he needed to go to work. But, you know, we talked about maybe we should make a plan for him going part time at some point, you know. And I haven't run the numbers of like making a goal of when it would be feasible for him to do that. But, you know, that's definitely something, some, sometime in the horizon. Right now, he's doing fine with full time work. But as a surgeon, you know, you get, it's it's hard on your body so at some point you know going part time would probably be a good good thing for him
1: and what with that extra time would he want to spend more time with like with you with
0: family traveling what yeah well our most recent purchase you know whether it be a good fiscal decision or not we just bought a cabin in the mountains the last fall so that was kind of a big deal as far as as far as just making that financial decision to kind of spend spend that money so where is your cabin again it's in Alma, Colorado. So, so originally we had been shopping for an Airbnb and then we ended up finding this beautiful cabin that we just fell in love with. And it's not ideal as far as location to be an Airbnb. So it's not going to be the moneymaker that I originally started off looking for, but it ultimately, we just, we hope to retire there someday or somehow spend like maybe after Lavinia, our daughter is in college, maybe doing, you know, three or four day, you know, little breaks up there and then coming back down to town, maybe getting an apartment or a condo down here and downsizing down here in the city so that we can kind of just split our time and spend more time in the mountains. Cause it's just, Oh my gosh, it's where our heart is. It's just, it's so beautiful up there. Rejuvenating.
1: So when are you going, are you going to like, sit down and run the numbers so you can figure out when he can go part-time and then
0: like, what do you want to do too? Yeah. Well, you know, I am a free spirit always have been, obviously I started off doing history and then I said, well, I just want to go to medical school because that'd be fun to do. Anyway, that's how I've lived my life is I just, I've always just been interested in something and then I chase it and try it out for, you know, so, you know, I, when I became an attending, I worked in private practice for a couple of years and I felt that was a little bit too confining as far as like how I was an employee and it just, you know, I couldn't set my schedule. I couldn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of autonomy there. So a friend of mine, Shri Arello, she is PM&R doc. She was on my she was on my podcast, and she was telling me about how she got into locum. So she was one of my guests. I didn't she wasn't even a, necessarily a friend at that time, and she was telling me all about how to be a locum doc. And I had never really thought about it before, but then after she explained it to me, and everybody can go back and listen to that podcast, that was totally my inspiration. And I realized, oh, I can do that too. So I looked into it, and I quit my job, got Got a, a locums gig and and set off to do that. That was about three years ago now. So You've been doing locums for three years. And the best part about it is? Just freedom of my time. And to be able to chase all the other things that I'm interested in, like the real estate and the podcasting and all the other things that just, I guess I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of a squirrel kind of person. <laughs> if something's interesting, bright, shiny objects, I'm like, Ooh, I've got to go check that out. I got to go research that.
1: But you've been in it for three years and you've been in the locums for three years. So you, so what you're saying is if your husband went part-time, you could continue doing the locums and you could still kind of, you have that freedom of time where you can go back and forth between your cabin and your downsized apartment. Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. And then, yeah, tell us a little bit more about real estate because you're looking for an Airbnb. I know you're a realtor. You help people find
0: homes. How, how did this come about? And when did you start this? Well, you know, when we were shopping for all of our homes, I've always been really interested in real estate and kind of looking at the prices and, and the trends and all that stuff. So I always got kind of nerdy about it. And after our last house purchase, I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. I wonder how you become a real estate agent. And then, you know, real estate becoming an agent is one of the easier things to get into because you don't need any particular degree. You just take, you know, a certification course. Basically, you get certified through the state and licensed through the state and that you can work as a real estate agent. So it was a low barrier to entry, which is the case for most people who start, but it is definitely a little harder to keep in the business. But once you become a real realtor, um, but so far so good, I've just kind of just started about a year ago and kind of doing it alongside the locum stuff. And it, and it works out pretty well with locums because, uh, you know, most of the time, a lot of it's phone calls and you know, you can do it very remotely other than showing homes essentially. And kind of, if you're have a house listed and you need to go and see the house to do something, you know, a lot of it can be done so remotely. So, so it's worked out really well. And I also work as part of a team. So I'm part of the impact team at your castle real estate. So we have a group of over 30 people and we all help each other out. And it's, it's a really great working environment from a real estate as- aspect. So. Mm-hmm.
1: So, who would you recommend it for? For like other physicians uh, who are interested, what would you recommend that they do? Or th-
0: I guess you just have to make sure that you can set aside the time or find the time to to do all that. And it can be done, you know, in between things. But it it definitely takes a you know it's a different mindset. Like you kind of have to kind of switch gears a little bit between medicine and, and real estate. And also starting real estate, it's like a whole it's like going to residency again. You know, I have a ton of people who help me because I'm on this team. So you know, it's almost like I think of them as my attendings. If I have any questions, I can call them up and ask them. So it's a whole nother learning curve because when you go to school to become a realtor, it's the bare minimum. Like it's not even the bare minimum. It's almost nothing what you, what you learn for that test. It's, it's basically what you need to know to not get sued. You know, it's really basic. It's really basic. And then you have to learn everything else on the fly. You not only have your own company, but you also work for somebody else's company. Yeah, so I'm ah I'm with my brokerage is York Castle Real Estate, which is the largest local brokerage here in Denver, and actually one of the co-owners of the I want to say practice, it's not brokerage, <laughs> is a physician as well, and her husband is like the head of it. So so it kind of worked out really well that I I landed at that at that brokerage. So anyway, love York Castle, it's really great, and then within York Castle, because there's so many, there's hundreds of agents that are in York Castle we tend to break up into teams. You don't have to be on a team. It's really common for a real estate agent to be a part of a, of a team. So my team is the impact team at Your Castle Real Estate. So it's almost like a little mini practice in a, I don't know, in a in a large hospital system, shall we say? And then being in a little local practice, I guess. And do you ever see yourself going like full time in real estate or do you like the balance? Yeah. So originally, actually, I was thinking that I wouldn't have so much locums work this year. It looked like some of the locums work was drying up a little bit. And so I had a little bit of a mindset to really push real estate this this summer. So, so I am pushing that a little bit more and getting a little bit more into that as we're rolling into the summer. The market is crazy right now. It's insane. And it's a whole nother level of crazy because even, you know, Agents who have been around the block have never seen it like this, you know, and it's just it's driving everybody nuts because the market's so unbalanced. It's it's painful for everybody, uh, literally. Even in even the sellers who are making bank, it's not easy. Why is this? Why is it? Why is it so crazy? So crazy right now? Well, there was pent up demand from all the months that we were basically closed. I mean, you couldn't. There were so many rules from the state about how to show homes and that people just said okay I'm not going to show my house right now it's fine we're just going to wait for covid and same for people for buyers too i think they were waiting because they just needed to figure out what was going to happen you know am i going to lose my i had a buyer um, actually we had been shopping and covid hit and she's just like i can't shop right now i don't know if i'm going to have a job and it's like oh yeah 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 no problem you know so i think there were a lot of buyers that pulled out at that time so there just was nothing going on it was so quiet And then now as we're kind of coming back, and of course, it's the busy summer season as we're starting too, there just is no inventory. Those people who hadn't put their house in the market still haven't put their homes on the market. Maybe they're just going to hold on to it. And when it's so unbalanced, it's hard because actually, I would love to downsize from my home right now. Definitely, it's in the back of my head, And but it's just so hard to find a home that you're like, okay, well, I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going to think about it because... I know I'm not going to find a home in the neighborhood that I had my eye on like three years ago. And so I'm just not even going to worry about it. And I think that's the mentality of a lot of people. So then they're not putting their home on the market in kind of a relatively casual fashion or like these trade-ups because a lot of times people want, need a bigger home or they want to downsize. So that's one of the ways that a lot of people, that some of the inventory comes into the market. And that's just all thrown off right now. Totally, totally thrown off.
1: Sherry, we have been following the market. You know, Victor follows like real estate pretty closely and we weren't even looking. We're not even looking to buy a different house, but we're always looking (laughs) at it. So we're we're always looking. And so Victor's like been sending me all these Zillow, Hey, look at this house or realer.com. Look at this, look at this. And he found a house the other day that we actually had under contract in 2016. So five years ago, we had this house under contract we had our earnest money and then we pulled out because we decided we wanted to buy the other half of our duplex, you know, where we live. We were like, okay, it'll be a smarter investment. If we just buy the other half of the duplex, it'll be easier for run Airbnbs if we own both sides. So we, yeah, we decided not to go that route, but this was a gorgeous home in Highland Park Village, like right next to Highland Park Village, which is a super ritzy part of Dallas, inside Dallas. Okay. And it was selling for one point two million, which, is which, which at the time was like in, in a lot for us because we were still broke. We had only been attendings for a year. And this is also on the lower end, okay, the very lower end of this neighborhood. So it was 1.2 million in 2016. So we decided, okay, no, somebody else bought it. They made some minor renovations. They made it look pretty, painted the inside, probably like did some countertops. And now, so just last week it went on the market at 1.9. Like jumped 700, was that like 700,000? Gorgeous house from the outside. It just needed a a facelift on the inside. And I mean, and it sold within a day. I mean, it's under contract now. So, like, it it got, it became under contract in one day. And yeah, you're right. The market's like that. And so
0: we have been looking at things off and on. (laughs) I know. And it's so hard right now because you just, yeah, especially, well, if you're looking for investment property or whatever, it's just, Everything's a little bit crazy. So it just it makes it hard. And we have this nice
1: duplex in University Park that people want to buy. So Victor's Victor's like, hmm, maybe we should sell this, but then we might be homeless. <laughs> right. Exactly. I know, right? Because it's like, where are you, where are you gonna go? Where are we gonna go? And we are used to doing that. We're used to doing that like a year ago, but not not now. So yeah, so exciting. So exciting. So what are your goals for real estate here?
0: Yeah. Well, as I've gotten into it and I've closed a number of deals, I want to keep going with it because every, every deal is a learning opportunity. It, you know, it's, it's really good for, for just mental stimulus, I guess, you know, to keep just, I, I guess I, I can't stop learning. I think is probably part of the, part of the problem.
1: So our problems as physicians, right? We're
0: Yeah. 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 I think we're, we're trained through all this to just never stop learning. And so it's really hard for some people to stop and just be an attending and just like, you know, coast. Some people can do it really well. And then I'm not. So (laughs) yeah. So yeah. Part of, part of my practice here, I like to say practice as a, as a real estate agent is to, um, you know, help primarily, I would love to help physicians coming into the Denver area, find the home when they're moving. Cause I, that was, I was in that, that situation when I moved from Kansas city to here, it's so hard to shop from, far away you can't get time off of work to come in and shop and when the market is well not even like this crazy but like regular Denver market was pretty fast so you you know you really need to get your offers in and things you'd look on Wednesday to try to tell your realtor I'm hey I'm coming on Friday let's look at these homes and they would be under contract so anyway that that would be my ideal customer would be you know someone who's moving into town and the physicians and Helping them understand the locations, all the the highways, the commute, the schools, the neighborhoods, the resources that you have here as a new Denverite, you know. So that's that is my ideal ideal customer. I've also had some a lot of fun helping physicians sell their homes, so that's really great. And I, you know, what I like being about a realtor, a physician realtor, is that I feel like I really am on call for my customers and for the homes because when when you work. <laughs> with people who are not physicians it's a different mindset. You know, sometimes I will call people and you won't get a call back for a long time and it's like, "Hey, I paged you. Like, why didn't you call me back?" you know. <laughs> yes. No, and right now you have to be fast. And yeah, especially
1: now like more than ever realtors are worth their weight in gold right now because they're just they know nobody can figure out the market and and you can really have an advantage when you have like a good buyers agent helping you buy a house to know okay well how much are people
0: bidding over right now cuz there's like
1: 20 offers you know on a house and so
0: and it's yeah it's not even just how much money you can throw at the deal it's like how can you make your offer as strong as possible there's like there's a ton a ton a ton of things that you need to think about and i you know i know a lot of people especially physicians you want to do it on your own cuz you feel like well i can i can figure out the system and in theory i could do it on my own but you really, it it is worth their weight and gold as far as like, this is a huge financial purchase. And actually I feel that as a, as a realtor, I'm like, Oh my God, I have a lot of my clients money at stake here. You know, like I feel a lot of personal responsibility for that because it's, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. So you just, you just don't want to lose any of that. And you want to be prepared for all the scenarios and all the situations and all the weird stuff. Like, I was talking to one of one of the agents in my in my team who has been around, you know, a long time. And I just said, gosh, everything is a new learning experience for me. And he's like, it never stops. Everything is it's everything is different. There's always something new to learn. And you kind of you kind of need to gather a lot of experience and stuff to really be able to navigate a lot of the scenarios. But even then, you know, you need to have a good team so you can bounce ideas off of people because there's always scenarios that that are just brand new. Can you- Examples.
1: Give us some examples of like how to make a good because you know, so it's not just about the money when you
0: when you create an offer. What else is it about? Well, I mean, it's it's you know the agent has to call the other agent. This is how it works. There's a lot of table talk people don't realize when making an offer. Now, when there's 20 offers, there's not a lot of time for table talk between the agents. But ideally, I like to talk to the other agent. I like to figure out what do they need. Like, what do the sellers need? Do they need? post-close occupancy. Do they need to stay in the house after the close? Do they need to, you know, do they need to have a fast close? Do they need to, you know, what what does what do they need? Cuz there's there's always a, a million and one scenarios. That seller ideally cuz sometimes if you can fit your offer to what they need, and sometimes it's not about money. You know, it may not be the $5,000, $10,000 difference. Like that in a lot of scenarios is like not a lot of money anyway. And so if you can match what they need, then that that is worth its weight in gold. Like they may stay there for two months, right? But one buyer might need to move in in a month because they're having a baby. And so that situation wouldn't work. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So in a seller's market like this, you really need to figure out what exactly do they need? And- yeah, maybe, maybe the sellers don't want to do any repairs. You know, like in olden days, I like to say, which was just last year or, you know, a couple past couple of years, you would do an inspection and you'd be like, oh, well, you know, this handrail is a little loose, or you know, the faucets doesn't work right. And you'd ask them to fix it. And it's like, no one's got time for that. Like the sellers don't have time for that. And honestly, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. So, you know. So a lot of times we'll just, we won't waive the inspection per se. I don't recommend anybody waive your inspection because there could be something majorly wrong. You want to be able to have that, that out if, if, you know, to protect yourself, but you know, you just don't need to complain. So you can tell them in the offer, like, we're not going to complain about anything. We just need to do the inspection for, you know, you don't need to resolve anything is there's inspection resolutions. There won't be any resolutions. There will just be as, you know, objections and stuff like that, as far as like, if you really object to the whole thing, you can back out of the contract. So we're going to keep that in, but we're not going to we're not going to have any other, you know, stuff like that. So that's some, some simple things to really make clear in your offer. Okay. And what have been some of the most exciting,
1: like purchases you've done in the past year? Or, I mean, not your,
0: your, I know about your own purchase, but like, yeah, well, I, I helped a physician trade up. So basically it was just as COVID it actually, she called me before COVID even hit. And so she had already been thinking that her house was too small. And so, yeah, so we did a trade up basically where she we found a house for her and then we put her house on the market to sell and so she's been really happy in her new home cuz she got pretty lucky cuz you know they bought before the craziness and you know and there's you know there's an office with a door and there's plenty of room for everybody there's plenty of room for her for her live-in nanny and things like that so it was just that space and, and a yard they didn't have a yard before anyway so just just helping people find what will work best for them is is really great yeah so that was super, super fun.
1: Well, do you have any, any other take-home points before we, before we leave, Carrie, anything you want to mention about medicine, marriage, or money you want to leave with our audience or real estate?
0: Well, I would say marriage just is having your partner in life is just, it's just worth its weight in gold, I guess. It just, it's just been such a, a help for us. It's just, we can't imagine doing it. Apart, basically, uh, you know, I, I feel bad because it's like not everybody can can find someone who's as supportive, you know, and 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 have a good partnership. I know how hard that is, and uh, we we do appreciate how lucky we were. We think about that with our daughter too. You know, she's in that age where she starts having crushes and all that stuff, and we're just trying to figure out how to set her up for finding an, a partner who will help her through life and who she can equally help through life. So I think that's been our our recent challenge in our, in our thoughts is like how to educate her as she's going through puberty to prepare her
1: for that. I did not ask you what your definition of marital interdependence was, Carrie. What is your definition of marital interdependence? Or in other words, what makes this your marriage or a marriage successful?
0: A partnership, an equal partnership, I think, that you try to keep it as equal as possible, that there's uh, you know, and of course we all have our strengths. So like my strength is keeping track of the money or figuring out if we can afford a car or even bargaining for the car or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's, it's making sure that we're both equal at the table and that no one feels neglected or, or like they don't have a say. So, so yeah, so we, we have a really good open communication and, and that's been really great. I think we're just best friends. And that's what I tell my daughter too. I was like, mommy and dad are your best friends. Like
1: it's great. No, I love it. And so I think that's great. I know at the beginning of the interview, you were saying, you know, you should have sp- focused more time on making friendships during college and you just wanted to hang out with each other. But that was you. That was you too. I mean, you're just, you were perfect for each other and you're still, you still have that love and connection and are going to help your daughter find it. <laughs> so that's perfect. And okay so and one one last thing. So if somebody was interested in going into real estate, if any physicians li- listening are interested in going into real estate, what would you recommend is the first thing that they should do? Call me and we can chat about it. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, anybody's welcome to call me and chat about it. I mean, I, I have to give some credit to Peter Kim, you know. He, Peter Kim w- was a real estate agent too and he and I when I had this this vague idea, I think he said the same thing when I I, I think I might have just posted on a Facebook group or something. He's like Call me. So I talked to him for, gosh, a long time on the phone about it one day and he gave me a ton of tips and I'm totally practicing differently than he does now. But but definitely as you get started, it's kind of uh, very similar. So that, that would be my recommendation. Okay. And then in your, po- in your podcast, do you talk about real estate on your podcast at all? Yeah. We're going to have some episodes coming up. They aren't released yet, but uh, yeah, definitely some, some episodes to help people understand the the crazy market, how to navigate some of these deals. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what becomes of that. But as I'm learning more, I definitely want to do some episodes about it. Where are pe- where can people find that or find you? So HippocraticHomes.com is my real estate uh, business website and people are welcome to, even if you don't live in Denver, I can help you find an agent too. Cause I know how hard it was when I moved to Denver, we got, we basically like opened the phone book and put our finger down and that somebody. <laughs> so I want to help you find a great realtor too, who will be great in your town. But if you're coming to Denver, I can help you. Or if you're trying to sell in Denver uh, or Metro Denver, so anyway, that's HippocraticHomes.com. And then HippocraticHustle.com is for the podcast, which you may see that there is a big gap because of COVID. It took a little bit of a, a COVID break, shall we say, but have some new episodes, including you. You will be on the show here shortly, so we'll get those episodes out shortly. And uh, yeah, so the Hippocratic Hustle has all sorts of stuff about helping you navigate Life, work, and finances as a as a female physician, and then finally, I also have HippocraticHoliday dot that definitely took a COVID hit. I released that literally right before COVID hit for traveling. So it's a podcast where I, I have interviewed uh, women physicians about their trips, which was uh, so much fun to do. I, I really want to get back into that one. I think I have maybe eight episodes out that got released before COVID. So and we're going to all start traveling. People are starting to travel now, so. I know. Oh, it's crazy. I know we all have the bug. We all want to like listen about, you know, traveling. So, yeah, definitely check out that podcast if you need to have a little bit of an escape. It's, it's really fun. So,
1: I will be listening. I will be listening to the places where to go to get the best, the best, cheapest, but best deals.
0: <laughs> I cannot say that I am an expert on deal finding, but. Yeah, but I've I've definitely, because of all my travel locums, have used points. I, we just got back from Hawaii and the whole, except for food, the whole thing was paid for with points. So that was fun. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Reynolds, for coming on
0: my show. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. <laughs>
1: Before we end, don't forget to hang out with my sweet friend, Erin Weissman over at Dr. Me First on your favorite podcast app. That was such a fun episode from Dr. Carrie Reynolds. Oh my gosh. I always love speaking to her. You, know, you guys know I've known her for years and um, just love what she's doing over at the Hippocratic Hustle. So my big three take-home points from Dr. Carrie Reynolds. <laughs> When you think someone has ghosted you, maybe think again, has anybody ever ghosted me? You know, uh, I had a friend a few years ago who said her, her nanny just completely ghosted her and she didn't know why, I even took the car seat and everything, <laughs> didn't, I was in her car, didn't even come back. We don't even know her story, right? We don't even know was, I mean, is she okay? Did she run away to a different country? Did she get married and did she have a baby? One time my housekeeper ghosted us for a couple of weeks. We had no idea where she was. Guess where she was? She was in the hospital with pre having a baby. We didn't even know she was having a baby because I guess I don't focus on the stomach area when I see her face. And quite frankly, she was coming in on the weekends and she was maintaining our Airbnb and doing the upkeep on that. So we we rarely saw her. And when both my mother and Victor's mother were visiting over the summer earlier, maybe it was late fall, and asking, you know, if our housekeeper was pregnant. And I was like, guys, don't be so mean, you know. <laughs> maybe she gained a little weight. I had no idea. So right. People are just they have things going on even when they're in your life regularly and you you sometimes have just no idea because we're we're sometimes afraid to tell people there's no right time to say something and um so next time you think somebody ghosted you or is ignoring you or is stonewalling you, let's take a moment and 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 ask ourselves is this really about us or is this about them? number two anyone can become a real estate agent it's 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 easy to take the test to pass the test if you read the material so it's not becoming the real estate agent it's not exactly just that title it's what you do with the knowledge it's how you work with the team how you find and work with your team that's going to make the difference that's going to propel you forward in your career and i think the same thing applies to marriage and your career, your career in the hospital or the clinic, wherever you are. It's not just about marrying the person, the ring on your finger. It's not just about your title uh, and the prestige of working at this academic institution or in this private practice. It's about what you are going to do with the knowledge that you gain. It's going to be how you're going to work together with your spouse to create that marriage, that lifestyle that you want, that love and connection. And the never stop learning mentality that a lot of us physicians, most of us physicians, and probably most of us listening to this podcast have, that's going to help us because we do never stop learning. And we always want to make a difference, make a difference in our patients' lives, in our spouses' lives, in our kids' lives, in our lives. Number three, Carrie brought up Dr. Reynolds brought up the point that it's not about in this crazy hot real estate market that's going on right now, it's not about the offer per se. Like when we put in give our offer on this house and 20 other people are giving an offer and we don't know if they're gonna bid higher or lower. It's not exactly all about the numbers, about the price that we're agreeing to pay. It's about the all of the terms in 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 the document. All of the terms. Is there a financial contingency? Are we paying cash or are we doing, are we doing uh, you know, financing? It's also about What do they need? What do the sellers need? So same thing with negotiating in your work or even in your marriage. It's not about just what we need. It's not about the questions we're going to ask and what we want right? to feel better. It's about what we have to offer, what we are bringing to the table. Hey, well, I'm willing to lease back for 30 days, 60 days, three months. I am willing to ignore we'll get the house inspected, but I'm willing, you know, it's okay. I'm still going to want the house. It's about after, when you marry somebody, it's not about just making yourself feel loved and connected and appreciated. It's about what you can do. Let me give you the, let me give you example, actually, that this happened to me today. This is a work. This is a work-related example, although it can be applied to marriage too. So I have been trying to give away one of my call shifts for like weeks, for several weeks, and I occasionally post in our little Slack group in my pediatric radiology group. Hey, does anybody want to take uh, this Tuesday work Tuesday night for me? My call shift. I really don't want to work June first Tuesday night because I've got my group coaching program for women physicians, and I don't want to abandon my beautiful ladies. I didn't explain all that in the Slack. I just said, will somebody trade my Tuesday? Call shift for one of their call shifts, preferably a, a Monday or a Friday. No, but no response. Okay, I think I got one response a few weeks ago, but they they volunteered to take a different day, not not that day. So today I was like, okay, I really need to get out of that shift. Nobody's taking. It. I've already asked the Slack group a couple times. I may have mentioned it in a staff meeting once. Nobody's biting. So how can I frame this so that they are getting what they want? So this is what I said: Hey. I've got this call shift. It's the Tuesday after Memorial day. So you have the opportunity to have a three and a half day weekend instead of just a three day weekend or almost a four day weekend. If you take my Tuesday night call shift and I am willing to take your Friday night call shift because everybody hates Friday night call shifts, right? So I will take your Friday evening work shift plus the overnight call for you. If you take my June 1st, (laughs) Tuesday night call, Hey, I had somebody call on my phone within seconds because she's like, I want to take that shift. I hate my, I have, I have a Friday shifts every month. I get, take my Friday shift, please. Because she wanted to be the first one in line. Oh my gosh. Not about what I had to, it's not about what, what, what I wanted. It's about what she needed. And that's how you're going to make progress. Okay. And that's also how you're going to create appreciation and love connection in your marriage by providing what they need. And then you also get what you need at the same time. Very long explanation for why an offer is not all about just the price you offer, just the numbers. (laughs) And if you guys want to know anything more about real estate, you know where to find my husband at 39.6 community on Facebook. He's always talking real estate, doing a lot of Facebook lives. I do occasionally talk real estate too, just not quite as much, not as quite as passionately as my dear husband, Victor. Um, And also if you are intimidated at all, if you're not in the right mindset, if you want to start investing and you haven't yet, reach out to me, please DM me, uh, email me at kate mangona at medicinemarriageandmoney.com or go onto my website medicinemarriageandmoney.com click i am ready and let's let's just set up a call i'll talk to you i'll show you how to do it i'll coach you through it i'll show you that you are your own limiting beliefs and 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 you can get what you want so i hope you walk away asking yourself do i want to get into real estate if so do i want to become a realtor do I want to pursue active real estate investing? Do I want to become a landlord? Or do I want to go the passive real estate route and put money into syndications? Do I focus on the negatives or positives when it comes to being married to either a medical or non medical spouse? And what are those negatives and positives that I focus on? And how is this helping me? And what can I do? get rid of that's not helping me. How can I create a lifestyle that meets my needs, that meets my family's needs, and meets my spouse's needs? And last but not least, how can I best show up in my marriage so that it feels easy, perfect, imperfectly perfect? I love you so much my friends, please go fly away, spread love and compassion to this world. So much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.